0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Flush. I'm your host, Hiva, and we have such a fire episode today. It's going to be a great episode because we all want to be more likable and we all want to have better relationships, but we often can't see what's standing in between us and these goals, and this episode will illuminate those blind spots for you so that you know exactly what to do to be more likable, to be more agreeable, to have better relationships, so let's fucking get into it. Okay, it is the second Tuesday of the month, which means one thing, and that is that we have an Am I the Asshole episode. By the way, if you're just listening, you may have just heard a slappy kind of sound. If you're on video, you will notice some new visual elements. Number one, my hair is different today. By that, do I mean that it's clean? No, I do not. (laughs) But I have it in a slicked back bun with no center part. We'll see how it looks on video. I used to do this look a lot. And then I stopped because I have such an uneven hairline. And I started to get really insecure about it. Isn't it funny how we... Well, like I've always had an uneven hairline and I was never insecure about it until someone expressed that they were insecure about their uneven hairline. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't even know that's the type of thing you should be insecure about. But now that you say it, of course, like I have the fuggliest hairline that's ever existed. Like, isn't it funny how people implant these insecurities into your head that you never even knew? I will never forget one time I, um, I... I don't know. I was like at a doctor's office. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was at a plastic surgeon's office. Not I wasn't getting plastic surgery. I was there with a friend and I was just looking at the catalog of things that they offered. And one of them was like ear stuff. And I was like, It has literally not once in my entire life even occurred to me that I should be insecure about my ears, that, like, ears are something, that people care about the appearance of their ears, and there's a way to have good ears and bad ears, but now that you say it, like, of course, of course my ears suck, you know? (laughs) Like, it's just wild. Anyway, that's not what we're doing here today. Um, Okay, so that's the first visual difference that I have no part in my bun, um... I don't know. Give me give me some feedback. Is it fugly or should I keep doing it? I just thought I just wanted to change it up. Like I was starting to feel very eggheadish with the other look. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, the other is that I have these stunning blush cards that were made, and so if you're on audio only. Um, I will continue to drag you every week for just being on audio, even though I am one of you and I never watch podcasts. I only listen to them. So who am I to be telling you off? Anyway, um, if you're on audio only, you may have just heard me slam down a card that was that sound. And if you're on video, you get the visual stunningness of these beautiful blush cards. I really, really love them. Okay, let's get right into it because we have a sick lineup of Am I the Asshole submissions and I don't want to waste too much time. I really wish, you know what I need in this room? It's like a clock that I can see. I do check the computer screen, but it's too small. I can't see. I can't see. Okay. Okay, number one, Am I the Asshole for Calling My Friend a Copycat? I, 21 female, have a friend, 25 female, who seems to take strong influence in the things that I do or wear. Last year, I got a tattoo that I had planned for a while to finish my sleeve. When I sent my group chat a photo, she said she loved it. A few weeks later, she had a very similar tattoo in the same style. This has happened for my last three tattoos, so I just stopped sharing them. Then I switched my style to a more hyper-feminine cottagey vibe. On my birthday, she showed up in a dress I had shared that I wanted to purchase. Oof. Most recently, I have had bangs for most of my adult life. My friends joke that if I grew them out, they wouldn't even recognize me. This friend, without warning, Snapchatted me that she now has bangs and has colored her hair a similar color to mine as well. I have tried to let this go multiple times, even as to distance myself from this friend. Until recently, we were all a tight friend group until recently as we are all a tight friend group my other friends know how I feel and will even point it out before I do um okay I don't it it seems like kind of an abrupt ending to this I wonder if like some of it got cut off I'm guessing she called this person a copycat and someone got upset or something and she wants to know um here's the thing I actually can really relate to this. So, well, for so many reasons. But when I was first in college, my freshman year of college, I my the roommate that I was assigned to was this girl who called herself Autumn that actually was not her name. So, we're going to use that as her nickname for this episode since she gave it to herself. Um Autumn before school, she was kind of um emo I think the kids call it emo she was a little like edgy she had an edge to her she um you know she yeah I don't know I don't know what else to say um and then school starts and we went to a very very preppy school now I was always really not always but I was pretty preppy because I was from like a very white very preppy area and I learned very quickly that the only way that I could be even moderately accepted was to be very preppy and you know I already had so much going against me being middle Eastern you know in the wake of 911 things like that the last thing I wanted to Do was find any reason to be more different from other people. So I was pretty fucking preppy when I entered college, even though I don't think that's like the style that I really align with, or you know, what okay, this is like so besides the point. So I went into college being pretty preppy, and we went to a very preppy college. And I liked a lot of Ralph Lauren, not like RRL, which is so chic. And now, again, I'm talking like polo Ralph Lauren, but whatever. Um, and, you know, I wore a lot of like polos and um, like I loved those polo dresses. And, you know, very Margot from the Royal Tenenbaums vibes. <laughs> Although I fucking adore her still. Um Anyway. Pretty quickly, I noticed that Autumn would do, say, wear, eat, everything that I did. Like, I would get dressed in the morning, go to class. I'd come back in between classes and notice that she was wearing the same thing that I did. She went to the outlet malls and bought the same clothes that I owned. She would start to listen to the same music that I listened to. She, When we were at the school cafeteria, she would... Eat the same foods that I ate and not eat the same foods that I wouldn't eat. Like she, okay, I hooked up with this guy, Trevor, the next night. She got in his bed and waited for him to come back and fucked him. And I mean, I like never talked to Trevor again, uh, like until like a month or so later. He's like, listen, I know like you and I, it's never going to be a thing because I like fucked your roommate. And I was like, yeah. That's obviously not going to be a thing. He's like, I just want you to know because I want you to understand how creepy this was. She literally was in my bed waiting for me to fuck me. And I don't think it's because she really liked me. I think it's because she has like a weird fucking thing with you. She ended up leaving school um like two months in. She was a very, very troubled girl. <laughs> anyway, I just want to say I've experienced this at a bit of an extreme But that's neither here nor there, and you or this person calling their friend a copycat is actually neither here nor there. What I want to dig into is a little more nuanced and I think far more interesting and is going to lead to a lot more personal growth, and that is what exactly is wrong with being a copycat. And let me backtrack a little bit. We all are born with every human trait within us. They're all within us. We all have the capacity to be anything. We are all both smart and dumb. We are all both lazy and hardworking. We are all both kind and mean. We all have the full spectrum of humanity within us. We're born with everything. We have the capacity to be anything and everything all at the same time. But through the process of growing up, we receive the message from society that certain traits are not acceptable and not lovable and you will not be loved if you express these traits. And that's a really scary thing because as human beings, we're born incredibly helpless, like we're actually way underdeveloped. as infants relative to other infants of other animals and our development is a lot slower than other animals I mean look at dogs right like you can adopt a dog at three months you can't fucking take over a human at three months like you know what human three-month-olds are like Worthless bags. Like, they're doing nothing. They have no skills. Nothing. There's, they cannot be separated from their moms for more than a few minutes without dying. Like, we are, like, it's shocking, actually, for quote unquote the top of the food chain, which I would argue we are not. But we are one of the smartest, if not the smartest animal, although I actually have this theory that we're the dumbest animal, but that's, that's not, that's for another time and not for today. But only because I think we're so disconnected from our nature. And for that, I think we're the dumbest animal. But that's that's a tirade. I can go on a different day. We're not going to do that today. No ADHD diaries today. No, just kidding. We're probably going to have some ADHD diaries because otherwise, like, what's the fucking point? But, <laughs> but we're not going to get that far sidetracked. We really are truly dependent on our caretakers for a very very long time for our survival and moreover just from an evolutionary perspective human beings really belong in tribes and the way that we were able to survive and evolve and get here was via being in community so to be ostracized from community our brains actually interpret as a life or death type situation so we're constantly molding and adapting ourselves to be part of community so when we receive a message that a trait is unacceptable and unlikable then we quickly are like oh shit I cannot exhibit this trait and we completely close the door on this you know I um I was reading this book and the book used this analogy so I don't want to like I don't want to act like it's my own analogy but it's kind of like if you were born into a castle. You have this castle, this massive fucking castle with millions and millions and millions of rooms. And each room is a different trait. And when we're born, when we come onto this planet, the doors to all of the rooms are open and we're excited and we're just running through every fucking room exploring and, you know, there are rooms that we like more and rooms that we like less and there are rooms that really feel like, oh my God, this is like my room. And then there are rooms that are like, oh yeah, this is kind of whatever, take it or leave it for me. But we don't really have any judgments towards any of the rooms and then people come along and they're like that room over there that is a gross disgusting room and if you ever go in that room again I will never speak to you again and you're like oh shit like (laughs) I can't go in that fucking room otherwise that person will never talk to me again and if that person will never talk to me again I bet Mary down the street would also not talk to me again and I bet Michelle across from her would also not talk to me again and (laughs) Certain, like slowly no one would talk to me if I go into that room so you know what I should do I should close the door to that room and I'm gonna lock the door to that room and in fact I'm just gonna go ahead and throw the key to that room out the window and I'm gonna bury it into the ground so I will never enter into that room again because if I go into that room people will not like me and then over time you kind of just even forget that the room even exists because it's been locked away that's what happens when we grow up we've receive these messages that certain traits are not likable, certain traits are not lovable. And so we repress them and we hide them and we deny that they even exist within us. Now, that's all well and good. But something that happens is when we repress certain things within us, we become hypercritical of those things in other people. We notice them more because we're repressing them in ourselves. And the reason that we notice them more is because Those traits are actually yearning to be seen. And because we can't see them in ourselves, our subconscious mind is really highlighting them in other people. And because we've received the message that this trait is so not likable and so not lovable, and you will be shunned if you exhibit this trait, we are hypercritical of this trait in other people. We really judge people for them. We might be irritated by their very existence, we might be super triggered by them. And that's That's exactly what's going on here. So this person who wrote this question, I'm willing to bet at some point growing up, someone or multiple people made comments about how copycat, notice even copycat is kind of a childish way of phrasing things, right? It's a very childish term. Like who remembers like in elementary school, someone being like, oh my God, Susie's such a copycat. Like that's, it's a very childish way of phrasing things. Okay. So I'm willing to bet growing up, this person heard messaging that copying people is bad. And so she started to repress the ways that she was copying people within herself. And now she's hypercritical to anyone who's copying anyone. This happens all the fucking time. In fact, I have a friend who did this exact thing. So my friend Apple was a um, food content creator and she would post things and she like people would like really would copy various things that she did and it would drive her crazy. Like she would just see red. She'd be like, oh my God, like this person copied this thing that I made, blah, 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 blah. But what was ironic was Apple was actually copying me all the time. Now, I didn't really care, so I didn't say anything. And I've learned from experience, if you try to show this to people, they're not going to see it. They're going to get really, really defensive because it is such a deeply repressed thing. Most people don't have the self-awareness capacity to even understand this and integrate this within themselves. So I knew this about Apple. I certainly wasn't going to be like, hey, the reason you're so triggered by other people copying you is because you are copying me all the time and you don't even see that you're copying me all the time. And so you're hypercritical of it in other people. But that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happened with Apple. And she actually eventually stopped content creating, I think in part because she was so unself-aware that she couldn't see this and she drove herself crazy to the point where she ended up giving up. But this is so common our reaction to other people is usually a reflection of a repressed aspect within ourselves this is really 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 common you know so if you watch Bravo at all, I'm sure you watched the season finale of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. If you don't watch it, I'm going to give you just kind of a brief overview of this season and what happened. Um, Quick spoiler alert. If you do watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and you have not watched the season finale, I will spoil it for you. So I don't know. Skip ahead or pause the podcast and go watch it and come back or something. I don't know. Anyway, so. There was this new housewife on that franchise this season. Her name is Monica. She joins the group. It's the fourth season of this particular franchise. And um, I'm not going to give a ton of backstory and stuff because it's not relevant, not important. I just want to fast forward to this one particular thing. So basically, she joins the group. Um, She's a little bit different from the other ladies. Like, she's uh, younger. She's from a different socioeconomic level, whatever. And... There's stuff with her all season. Anyway, in the season finale, we find out that Monica... Four years now, basically since this franchise started, she has run this fake Instagram account that's like a gossip-type Instagram account, specifically about the Salt Lake City franchise, not about the rest of the franchises. And she's been talking shit about all of these women this entire time, and she infiltrated her way into the friend group, onto the show. She orchestrated this whole thing. It was like very pretty little liars it was very gossip girl it was it was honestly really fucking creepy I mean imagine like this woman joins your show your friend group and you find out all along she's essentially been stalking you spying on you and like spreading gossip about you on the internet like she's been kind of terrorizing you and like ruining your life and then she's out here pretending she like barely even knows you like there's like clips of her being like oh my god it's my first time in the like your story, Meredith, like how cute. And then you realize like she's actually been there before. Like she knows everything about these people and she's pretending she didn't know anything about them. And it was so creepy, whatever. And so I was talking about it with my friend Katie and um, one of Monica's first scenes on the show, like one thing that was really interesting about Monica is she came on the show and she really owned her shit. Like she was like, oh, you know, I was married, but we got divorced because I was having an affair with um, my brother-in-law as in her husband's brother and blah, 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 right? And so I was talking after the season finale. I was talking about it with my friend Katie and I was like, holy shit, Katie. Like, can you believe it? Like all this stuff with Monica, like blah, blah, blah. And Katie goes, well, we should have seen it coming because... Monica was having this affair with her brother-in-law for all this time like we should have seen that she's a garbage person and she's such a bad person and like blah blah like we should have seen this about her because like who even does that like how disgusting and she's just going on and on and on about Monica's affair with her brother-in-law and listen like I'm not saying it's a good thing to have an affair with your brother-in-law like it's obviously an objectively wrong thing to do but I also think that we all make mistakes and we all do things that are wrong and we know nothing about Monica's relationship with her ex-husband and why she had this affair and like for all we know like maybe there was serious abuse in that relationship like maybe like there's just any number of arguments like yeah it was an objectively wrong thing to do but the way Katie was talking about it was so charged and so I was like hmm that's interesting. And I was like, mulling over. I was like, why is Katie reacting to this so harshly? And then it went off like a light bulb instantly. Katie is married. And Katie is very flirtatious with her father-in-law. I've been around it and it's very uncomfortable. Now, I actually don't think it's Katie's fault. I actually think Katie's father-in-law is a bit of like a sleaze and a perv. And Katie's father-in-law kind of flirts with Katie a lot. But Katie does reciprocate. And I think that Katie cannot see in herself that she does this and I think Katie has a lot of subconscious shame and guilt because she knows what she's doing is disgusting she probably doesn't know how to handle it and I actually have a tremendous amount of compassion for Katie but that's why Katie is so over the top judging Monica so harshly for this affair because there's part of Katie that thinks that she's doing the same thing and she can't see it in herself because it's so deeply repressed so so she's judging it so harshly in Monica I think the same thing is going on with this person I think that this person is probably copying other people and can't see that she's copying other people because she's received the message in growing up that being a copycat is like the worst thing it's so bad it's so cringe it's so awful and so she now has this friend who's copying her and it's like driving her crazy when in fact like you should really be flattered that someone's like this obsessed with you. Like how fucking cool. I love nothing more than when people start dressing like me, acting like me, like saying things like me. It's so flattering. Like, do you know how often I get people who are like, Oh my God, I saw this outfit and it was inspired by you when I bought it. I'm like, Literally, I've never been more flattered in my entire life. I was listening to a podcast a few months ago where these two girls on the podcast were like, I bought this outfit and it's like so Hiva and like blah, blah. blah. And they were like going back and forth talking about like this outfit and my style. I literally like screen recorded it and I listened to it over and over and over again because I was so flattered by it. But that's because I'm not triggered by copying. I know that I copy other people I think it's fine. I know other people copy me. I think it's fine. Like, it's cool. Like, it's great. Like, that's how the world goes on. Like, I'm not triggered by it because I don't have that programming and that shame around copying being a bad thing. And you know what's really funny with this concept? We don't judge people when we are not repressing that thing within us. It's only when it's repressed that we judge people. And I think a really good illustration of this is Gypsy Rose Blanchard. So if you don't know who Gypsy Rose Blanchard is, is Blanchard her last name? I think it's Blanchard. Like, But I'm sure you're hearing of it because like, I feel like all of a sudden everyone is talking about her because she literally just got out of prison. So Gypsy Rose Blanchard, or GRB as I like to call her, The name on everyone's lips right now um, is a 32-year-old woman who was Munchausen by Proxied, which means I believe Munchausen Munchausen syndrome is it's essentially like hypochondria is my understanding of it it's like when you think you're sick but you're not actually sick um now Munchausen Munchausen by proxy is when you do it to someone else and my understanding of Munchausen by proxy is that it tends to happen um with like parents and kids so like parents who basically act like their kid is sick when they actually aren't sick or either or like even make them sick when they aren't sick and then reap the benefits of having a sick child. So Gypsy Rose's mother, who I believe was named Dee Dee, basically from the time she was an infant, pretended that Gypsy Rose had all of these various ailments. I mean, I think it started with like some kind of breathing thing and then it graduated to like cancer and various things. She was shaving Gypsy's head. She had her in a wheelchair. She had her on all these medications. She also was a nurse. So she knew how to like go to doctors and say that Gypsy Rose had all these various symptoms that she didn't actually have. Like she, Gypsy Rose was fine she was perfectly healthy other than I think her mom was giving her certain medications so that she would express certain symptoms that she didn't actually have but she was actually totally fine and her mom was like making her out to be this like make a wish kid and like getting all of this attention and accolades and you know they were getting like free trips to Disney World and stuff if you ever watched The Politician on Netflix which by the way you should watch it's 10 out of 10 stunning amazing show um the girl that Zoe Deutsch played the character is actually based my understanding on GRB so 10 years ago GRB starts talking to this dude they're like whatever they have this like cyber relationship they met up once I believe and like fucked and then they plotted a plan to kill her mom now he actually did the killing I think she just the killing and um, they both were arrested convicted she was sentenced to 10 years which is far less than you generally would get for accessory to first-degree murder but I think there were massive mitigating circumstances like the Munchausen by proxy (laughs) like I'm actually shocked she got any prison time so she ended up serving 85 percent of her prison sentence and she got out In December of 2023. And so that's why everyone's talking about her. She has like 7 million followers on social media. People fucking love Gypsy Rose. Like she is heralded. And I think the reason that people really take to her is because I think that we can all see that if we were in her circumstances, we too may have murdered our moms. It's very easy to see because we can see her circumstances. We can see how her mom literally drove her crazy. I mean, what she was doing to her. And it was kind of a bit of like a freedom story. Like she's taking back charge of her life, right? Like I think we can all have compassion for that because we can all see that. But you know what's funny? The one place where Gypsy Rose is getting a lot of backlash and hatred is she tweeted something about how She's now married to someone else, not the guy who the guy, the boyfriend at the time, I believe, is serving a life present life sentence in prison. And um, so he's not out of prison, but she's now married to someone else who started writing her letters when she was in prison and they're now married. Can we just like brief aside what the fuck is Gypsy Rose doing to these men? Because like. She got a guy to kill for her, you know, like... How hard of a time I have had getting people to just like buy me a drink or buy me dinner and she's out here getting men to murder for her? Like, is her pussy made of like glitter and rainbow and sunshine? Like, she got a guy to marry her while she was in prison. You know how hard of a time I've had getting men to commit to me when I'm fully out and available and like will suck dick? Like, what the fuck is this chick doing? Like... Let's get her on the pod. Gypsy Rose, open invitation. Can you tell us your tips and tricks? Um, The one thing, all jokes aside, that she is getting backlash for, I think she, like, tweeted or Instagram storied or something about how, like, her husband's dick is fire or something like that and people are like oh my god that's so cringe and I think the reason that we react to that so much is because we are all kind of cringy and we all have received societal messaging that being cringy is like completely unacceptable and so we have all repressed the cringe within ourselves but then when we see anyone else act cringe we're so triggered by it because in our minds being cringe is like the worst thing that you can possibly possibly be, right? So that we react to, but like her murdering her mom, we're all fine with, because I think we can all see that if we were in those circumstances, we may have done the same thing, right? So I think Again, going back to this situation, I think really what's going on here is this person is triggered by her friend copying her because at some point growing up, she received the messaging that being a copycat is like the worst thing that you can be. And so she's denying and repressing this trait within herself. And so she's harshly judging it when it shows up in other people. And you know what's funny is like most traits, even if the quote unquote bad traits, actually have positive attributes. Like think about it, like being a quote unquote copycat cat has positive things it's like you see things that you like and you're willing to take action and emulate them like what a beautiful stunning thing like it's not even a bad thing but to this person it's such a bad thing because I'm sure they received some kind of societal programming that this is such a bad thing okay moving on to the next one again no idea how long we've been going because Whatever. Okay, am I the asshole for telling my long-term girl that she's in a bad mood and walks around with a sad face? <laughs> to be clear, we are not together. Okay, then what's a long-term girl? Okay, whatever. <laughs> Let's just move right along. I know she is going through some stuff, but to cheer her, we went to a, we went to play a game together. What kind of game? Like, what's going on here? What is a long-term girl and what... Game? Did you go to play together? What the fuck is happening? Okay, um, and she was noticeably upset from the very time I met her, but she smiled every time when I looked at her. I simply asked her if she was all right, but I did it in a manner where I went on with the game so that she could not answer if she didn't want to. What game? What? Like, am I just hyper fixated? I just want to know what game. I just, I like games. Like, I I just want to know. Was it pickleball? I want to play pickleball. Everyone says it's like so much easier than tennis. Maybe I could even be good at it. I don't know. Were you playing pickleball? Okay. I see something is not okay, and I'm a very direct person. She later replied she is not sad, and why am I asking? She also said she doesn't feel sad inside. She even felt quite good. I answered that she literally had a sad face, which she in fact did, and she walked away with her head down. There is no need to lie to both of ourselves. If you don't want to talk about it, just say just say it. Here's the rude part. I texted her this morning about irrelevant stuff and she casually mentioned that she didn't want to see me for some time and that I was possibly rude yesterday, implying about the sad face moment. In all caps, how is that rude? Since when is being considerate rude? Why are people so soft lately? Am I the asshole? (sighs) Okay. Okay. Number 1, I sense a lot of um codependency here, and I just want to clarify for a minute because the way that we colloquially use the word codependent is not actually what it means in a clinical sense. So colloquially when we say codependent, we mean kind of like attached, right? Like oh, that couple is so codependent. Like what we mean is like they're never apart, they're always together. Like oh, she's so codependent because like she always wants to be around her boyfriend or whatever. But that's not what codependent dependency means in a clinical sense codependency is the inability to tolerate the discomfort of others so codependent people are are people pleasers they're the overgivers the people who lack boundaries there's often a lot of overlap with codependency and anxious attachment but the way that we colloquially use codependency is actually anxious attachment right the people who like can't be apart the people who are just like obsessed with their romantic partners the people who lacks separation that's anxious attachment it's not codependency when I see codependency I mean it in the literal the clinical sense which is the inability to tolerate the discomfort of others which is what's happening here with this person you see your friend being sad you can't tolerate them being sad and so you're like kind of freaking out and pointing it out in this person okay so I just want to get that out of the way it's not your responsibility to deal with your friend being sad um The other thing is, just like with the copycat person, I see a lot of repressed parts here. In the friend, the person with the sad face, I think that being sad is something that she has repressed. So growing up, she probably received a lot of messaging that it's not okay to be sad. There's something wrong with having a sad demeanor. There's something wrong with not being cheerful and happy and smiley all the time. So when someone else is like, hey, you look sad, she takes that as a rude comment when in fact, that's not a rude comment at all. Like it, it's just like, it's, oh, you seem sad, right? That that shouldn't be that. shouldn't be anything at all but i'm guessing that she received messaging that it's not okay to be sad and therefore she's reacting to that but the person who submitted this submission i see repressed parts in them um number 1 the way the this person at the end of the submission said why are people so soft lately That seems like a repressed part. In fact, I could argue that you writing this whole unhinged thing about this is kind of quote unquote soft, right? Like that's like you're exhibiting a bit of softness within yourself. Number two, I think that they have repression around rude, right? I mean, like that makes a lot of sense. Like society tends to demonize people as being rude and like, you know, to be rude is, rude. It's, it's not like a great trait, but there are positive aspects to being rude. And we're all rude from time to time. No one deserves to be ostracized from society from being rude. And in fact, most people aren't Ostracized from society for being rude. It's just that as children, we can't understand complexity. We can't understand nuance and we internalize everything. So, as a kid, you may have overheard someone say, like, oh, that person's so rude, like with that kind of tone. And so, you're like, oh my God, like, I can never be rude. If I'm ever rude, people will never love me. So, I'm never going to be rude. Ever, right? But of course you're going to be rude because like we're all going to be rude at some point. And that doesn't mean it's okay. Like it doesn't mean like you should be rude all the time. But... Everyone is allowed to make mistakes and everyone does make mistakes. Like you don't have to repress these traits within yourself. And when you do repress these traits within yourself, it creates a lot of problems. As we can see, this entire argument, this entire issue with these two people is because of their repressed parts. It's their repressed parts that are fighting with each other. If they could integrate all parts of themselves, none of this would ever happen because like if he would have said to her hey you seem sad she would have like been like oh yeah you know what I am kind of sad boom case closed or let's say like she wasn't sad or like whatever she wouldn't either way she whether she was sad or wasn't sad if she wasn't repressing sadness within herself then she wouldn't even react to that and she wouldn't have even found it rude and then on the flip side if he wasn't repressing I actually don't know if this is a he but I just kind of assumed it was um but if he wasn't repressing like rudeness within himself then he wouldn't be triggered by her saying that he she was possibly being rude he would have just been like You know what? Yeah, I was possibly being rude. Whatever. Case closed. And moreover, he wouldn't like be reacting to her, quote unquote, being soft because he's repressing his own softness. But like, I think he's like being kind of soft. So this is all just repressed parts coming out to play. It's not no one's being an asshole and everyone's being the asshole because what everyone really needs here is to practice radical self-awareness. Okay, moving on to the next one. Am I the asshole for acting paranoid about sharing my plans? (laughs) So I have this personal habit that I feel was informed by the environment I grew up in. When someone asks, hey, what are you doing next Saturday? I always reply with, why? (laughs) Okay. It's simple. I don't like answering when I don't have all the information. If I say I'm free, I might get hit with, Oh good, you can help me with this terrible, unpleasant task. (laughs) No, but you said you were free, asshole. (laughs) conversely if I say I'm busy I might hear oh too bad I was gonna invite you to something cool but now I won't what's this you want to go anywhere where you're lying earlier about you ditching the previous commitment either way asshole As you can see, I deal with a lot of manipulative people. It is what it is. But my family is super hung up on the why thing and keeps trying to start fights about how I answer their questions. I explained it to them roughly like I did here. They call me paranoid and they say I need help. Am I the asshole? Wow. Okay, we have a bit of a theme here today. And that theme is... Repressed parts and lack of radical self-awareness or moreover, I should say, the need to practice radical self-awareness. So I can pull out multiple repressed parts in this submission immediately. Number one, asshole. The word asshole was used over and over and over again. Clearly, this person has a subconscious fear that they're an asshole and is really trying to suppress their own assholeness within themselves. The other one is paranoid. The other one is manipulative. Now, I just want to point out all of these things actually have positive sides to them, right? Like paranoid, positives is like thoughtful, weighs out pros and cons, analytical. Um, Manipulative, strategic, thoughtful, (laughs) smart even. Um, Asshole, boundaries, strong-willed, um, not a people pleaser, right? All of these things have good and bad and like nothing is black and white. Everything is nuanced. So I just want to start there. But really, truly, anytime you call someone a name, ask yourself, how am I exhibiting that trait within myself? Every single time that you judge someone, you're actually judging a repressed part of yourself that you don't feel free and safe to see in yourself because you received messaging growing up that you will not be loved if you exhibit this trait. And that's exactly what's going on with this person, okay? Like they're repressing paranoid, they're repressing manipulative, they're repressing asshole. And you know what? Like I could argue that what this person is doing is manipulative. One could make the argument that saying why when someone asks you if you have plants is manipulative. You're manipulating the outcome. I could argue that, you know, like asking why when someone asks you if you have plants is asshole-ish, right? Like all of these things that you're being paranoid and judgmental about are actually things that you're repressing within yourself. Also, it's very clear that there's some kind of like unresolved trauma here (laughs) for like this person to be so hyper like hyper aware that they might get roped into something that they don't want to do like clearly something has happened because most people are not reacting like this now I do have a piece of practical advice for like a different way to approach this in the future and that would be when someone asks if you have plans to just say you know what I have tentative plans they could change um but tentatively I do why what's up Then you can hear what the person has to say and then like if they're inviting you to something cool the next day you could be like oh my god my plans fall through I can do it or if they're trying to rope you into doing something then you could be like oh yeah I'll let you know if my plans like actually end up happening or not if they fall through I can help you if not not right easy practical solution to this problem but expecting manipulation begets more manipulation. So for this person to just enter into a situation thinking that people have the worst of intentions, which is clearly what this person thinks, is only going to elicit that response because our brains are constantly fulfilling any prophecy that we have, right? Our brains are constantly trying to prove us right. So if we enter into a situation thinking we're going to be treated the worst, our brains are going to seek out the situation that's going to create that exact thing. So that's what's happening here. I think this person needs to do a lot of inner child work on whatever happened to them that makes them so paranoid. And I think this person really needs to practice a lot of radical self-awareness around the three terms that I pulled out here. Okay, next submission. Am I the asshole for expecting my boyfriend to help me when I'm sick? I love the way people word these things. So I ate some food today that has not been agreeing with my stomach at all. I've been struggling next to him on the sofa for hours while he played a video game. Dinner rolls around and we have raw beef that needs to be cooked tonight and there's also still some cooked roast chicken I made the night before. Even though I'm feeling ill, I still offer to cook him the beef since I do all the cooking and said I'll just make something different with some of the chicken since that would be easier on my stomach. He told me that I should change into... A loose dress, since it could be my leggings restricting my stomach to make me feel more bloated. It totally is, girl. Like, we need to stop wearing things that are restricting and constricting on the tummy. Like, I will die on this hill. I agreed, but I said... I just didn't feel well enough to walk all the way up to the third floor to get a dress. It was already going to be a struggle to stand there and cook for 30 plus minutes. Instead of putting down his video game and offering to go upstairs and get a dress, he just said, well, I'm sorry about that. I walked back into the kitchen to make his food and then I started thinking, why couldn't he have just offered to go get it for me? So I said, are you sorry though? Then he got incredibly defensive and angry like, what? Do you want me to go get the dress? Or something, sigh. To de escalate the situation and try to move on, I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do it's okay, I'll be fine. I just really wanted to drop it, start on the cooking, and if he really wanted to help me, he would have just done that in the first place. Then he escalated further and yelled at me, and now I'm starting a fight, that now I'm starting a fight after he's offered to help. A lot more was said, but instead of just helping me, he kept escalating and escalating to the point where I just came downstairs to my office because I'm not feeling well and I can't take any more arguing. Anyway, am I the asshole for expecting my boyfriend to offer to help me when I'm sick and for criticizing. Okay, no, you're not the asshole for expecting your boyfriend to offer to help you when you're sick, but you are the asshole for expecting people to read your mind. I really, like, I'm so passionate about this. We have to communicate our wants and needs, and we have to communicate how we expect to be treated, even When we think that it's, like, so obvious and such an obvious thing and, like, you shouldn't even have to explain it. I actually encountered this... this week. So, as you guys might know, my dog is really old and like really really not feeling well. I've mentioned the past few weeks that she's been peeing a lot. That's actually just um geriatric incontinence. It's very very common in female dogs and there's a type of medication that they prescribe for it that seems to be super effective. For geriatric incontinence. The only thing is, my dog Sam can't take it because she has an autoimmune condition. She has a very serious autoimmune condition, and um, there's counter indications with that is that the right word for that okay whatever let's just (laughs) move right along and so it it, she can't take it because of her autoimmune condition and her autoimmune condition is also having the worst flare-up ever like it's been really contained with medication the past few years but it's having a really bad flare-up and we actually just got her worst blood test results ever her white blood cells are at an all-time low and basically, like, we're going to a specialist next week to get more information. But it's it's really, really scary. Like, it's really weighing on me. I Like, I don't want to cry, but I'm really, really scared for her. Like, I don't know what's going on with her. And then on top of that, like, caring for her has been really, really hard. She's constantly peeing. She's constantly having accidents. Like, I'm having to take her out constantly like to the point where I get no sleep anymore like I'm I'm averaging six hours a night which is not enough sleep like it's just not enough sleep like it's not like it's not like I'm not I have the aura ring so like I'm not being dramatic and being like I only get two hours a night like the way people do sometimes like no I'm getting six hours a night but six hours is not enough like we need eight hours and every like five minutes that you're getting under eight hours has severe health consequences. And again, because I have the aura ring and I can see all my biomarkers, I can see how much it's actually affecting my health and well-being. My body temperature is unstable. My hormones have been unstable. My heart rate variability has been, everything has been unstable. Like, I'm not physically feeling well because I'm getting so little sleep and there's no way that I can see for me to get more sleep because I have to be taking her out constantly. I'm not as sharp as I was. I'm not like as quick witted as I was like it's taking me longer to do things. It's been really, really, really hard and My friends know what's going on because they've been talking about it. And on top of that, like my friends who listen, like you guys know what's going on because I've been talking about it. It's been really, really hard, right? And I have um, a friend who I've tried to make... plans with and it just like hasn't been working and then the other day finally she was like uh, I had to like reschedule and she was like oh should we plan for next week and I was like honestly I can't commit to plans right now like I'm going through a really hard time like not only am I really focused on my career right now which is like part of it but I also I'm caring for an elderly sick dog by myself because my partner is away for work. Like it's, this is too much for one person to do. Like once he's back, things might be easier, but right now it's really fucking overwhelming. And she was like, Oh my God. Yeah, I totally understand. You know what she didn't do? She didn't offer to help. And part of me was like, that's, that's weird, right? Like it's, that's weird, right? Because I come from a culture where we always offer to help. And but just a counter example. So my sister-in-law's cousin, Daniel, recently moved to New York and she introduced us. I've met him one time. No, two times. I've met him two times. One time for like five minutes. And then one time a bunch of people came to my apartment. So I actually like hung out with him more, although he was mostly talking to other people because there were a bunch of people at the apartment. Right. Um, I met him two times. He texted me today and he was like, hey, are you free next week? And I was like, in theory, yes. But, you know, I have this going on with my dog. And so like I just don't know if I can commit to anything. Like it's been really overwhelming and hard. The very first thing he says, he's like, Holy shit, fuck us hanging out. Like, us hanging out should be the least of your priorities. The biggest is how can I help? What can I do? Can I come walker? Can I take night shift? Can I take morning shift? Like, how can I help you? And he doesn't listen to the podcast. I mean, I hope. Like, if you are listening, hey Daniel, you're such an angel. Like, he hasn't heard me complain about it for the past few weeks. Like my friend has. He, all he got was that one text, and the very first thing that he did was offer to help. Now Daniel isn't a better person than Sarah and Daniel doesn't care more about me than Sarah the difference here is cultural truly like Daniel is Colombian I believe he could be half Colombian half Lebanese or something Um, but I believe he's Colombian there's a difference in culture and they're like I come from a culture Persian culture is like I will talk a lot of shit on Persian people. I really do. But Persian people are hands down the most hospitable people you will ever meet in your life if you go to a Persian person's home from the minute you walk in until the minute you leave you will be like they will offer you everything they have like they will go out of their way to make you feel comfortable and welcome and that's the type of culture I grew up in and we can't expect everyone to have like like the reason my friend Sarah didn't offer to help isn't because she doesn't give a shit about me or because like she doesn't want to help or whatever it just probably didn't even occur to her. In fact, if she ever listens to this, like, hey, sorry, I'm talking about you without running it by you, but it is what it is. (laughs) Um... I'm sure like her like stomach is going to be in her asshole and she's going to be like, oh my God, I should have offered to help. Not that I would have taken her up on it at all, by the way. But I'm sure it just didn't even occur to her because there are cultural differences and there are differences in upbringing and there are differences in what we're exposed to. But the thing is, oftentimes, just simply modeling a certain type of behavior will get people to act that way. Like I noticed this, the first time I noticed this really was when I was friends out of college and living in my first apartment In DC, I had this group of friends, and it was like finally like the friend group of my dreams. We'd always hang out at my apartment. There were like literally five to 40 people at my apartment at any given time. Like when I left for work in the morning, there would be people there who were still there from the night before. When I came home from work, there were people there. Like it was so fucking cool. It was just like the most fun way to live until things fell apart. But that's that's for a different topic for a different time. And I remember, and it was like this group of like American people who I just like no offense to American people but like I don't think you guys are raised with a lot of like warmth and um uh, like outwardly showing kindness to each other the way a lot of eastern cultures are like it's just a difference in culture um I remember like when I like we'd be you know hanging out in the living room and stuff and when I'd get up to go to the kitchen I'd be like hey does anyone need anything from the kitchen and the first few times like people would just like notice it like sometimes people would be like yeah can you grab me a tin can you like grab me this can you grab me that whatever no one else would do it. And then I remember after the third time I did it, the next time someone got up, they were like, hey, does anyone need anything? And I was like, oh my God, look at that. Like they're learning. Like they're learning. They're learning. (laughs) Or I remember um, one time around that same time frame, I had a friend who was sick. Like we were supposed to hang out and he was like, hey, I actually can't do anything. I'm not feeling well. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, can I bring you soup? Can I bring you anything? And he was like, yeah, actually I'd love soup. And then the next time I was sick, he was like, Hey, can I bring you something? Because he had seen it and he liked it. I actually have neighbors right now who's very similar situation. Um, we were supposed to hang out like a couple months ago and he canceled last minute because he got COVID. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, what do you need? What can I bring you? Like, I'm here. I'm constantly going to the store and stuff. Do you need groceries? Do you need this? Do you need that? You know what? I make a really good broth. Can I bring you this broth? And he was like, you know what? That broth actually sounds really good. Um, and so I made it for him, dropped it off for him, like left it outside his door. Ever since then, every time, like, like one time he was like leaving town, he's like, like, hey, we have a bunch of strawberries. Like, they're gonna go bad. Can I give you some? Or like we like last week he was like, our neighbors just left for Australia. And um, actually his neighbors are working on the Australian Open, which is where my partner, Ozzy, we call him. If it's your first time listening, his name isn't Ozzy. We just call him Ozzy on the podcast because Everyone has nicknames on the podcast, whatever. Um, He's working at the Australian Open right now. So just like random small, like we live on the same street and they're like, they're two doors down from us anyway. So their neighbors just went out of town to Australia and left them with all this produce. And he's like, it's way more produce than we could ever go through. Like I put half of it away for you, come grab it. And I went to grab it. This is all because like I modeled that kindness and now they're like, oh, oh, like we can offer to help, you know? So like A, just modeling a certain behavior will often get other people to, do that behavior because they see it and they're like oh my god I could do that too like it's often people aren't offering help aren't offering certain things of kindness because it just doesn't even occur to them because they've never seen people behave like that so they don't know it but sometimes you have to go further and you just have to ask like how easy would it have been to just be like yo I'm feeling uncomfortable can you go upstairs and grab me a dress or like I don't feel well and I don't want to make dinner. Now, I do want to highlight that in this particular circumstance, there's a lot of gender dynamics, right? Like, as women, we were not raised to voice our needs, to voice our feelings, well, voice our feelings a little bit more, but to voice our needs and to ask for help. In fact, we were often really praised for being self-sufficient for being needless, for being easygoing, for being low maintenance, right? And so we have such like a fixation on being low maintenance. And to bring it back to the repressed parts, because I actually think that's at a play here, we repress the parts of ourselves. Like we how often, especially our generation, did we hear like, oh, she's so high maintenance, right? Like as such a negative thing. And so we try to repress anything that could be high maintenance within ourselves and we deny that and so as a result we like don't want to ask for help but then get mad when other people aren't offering help and I would argue it's way more high maintenance to get mad at someone to for not doing something let me start this over I think it's way more high maintenance to get mad at someone for not doing something that you never even asked them to do than it would be to have just asked them to do that very thing, right? Does that make sense? So I think that's really something that's at play here. And I honestly, I think that there's, a lot of like Disney brainwashing here too, whereas women, like we think it's this fairy tale outcome to be with someone who's reading our minds and just constantly anticipating our needs. But I don't think that that's realistic. I don't think that we should be getting mad at people for not doing things that we never asked them to do. I don't think we should ever get mad at someone for not anticipating our needs when we've never communicated those needs. We need to be more assertive. We need to ask for what we want. We need to ask for what we need. And if someone is then not meeting those things once you've communicated them over and over again, that's a whole separate story. But to get mad at someone for not doing something when you've never even said that you wanted them to do it, I I think that's kind of unreasonable. Um, Okay, I'm going to save the rest of these for next Months, am I the asshole episode? Because I don't want to run out of time. And I think that these actually, like we've been going for over an hour, I believe. And I think that these ones that we've gone over are so good. And I think there's such a common uniting theme here. And that's that when we repress certain things within ourselves, we are triggered by them in other people. And the way around that is radical self awareness. It's having the awareness that we have these traits that we're repressing in ourselves and that's why we're reacting to them in other people. Um, okay, let's do a little foods situation here. So the foods that make you blush. And since what we talked about a lot in this episode are practicing radical self-awareness and really seeing these repressed traits within ourselves... I wanna talk about some foods that can really help you get into your parasympathetic, that rest and digest state, so that you really feel safe Because when you're in a sympathetic state, it's actually really impossible to have that type of radical self-awareness. You really need to be in a parasympathetic state to be able to see and integrate these repressed parts of yourself. And these foods are going to really help you get there. Number one, cantaloupe and citrus fruits. Um, These are really high in inositol, which is, um, it's actually a type of sugar. We often call it vitamin B8, but it's technically not a vitamin. Um, It's a type of sugar. It really affects our cells and dopamine and serotonin and it really helps activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, The next food is soybeans and soybean-based products like tofu and tempeh. Soy is both high in protein, which is really supportive to the brain and to the... to the nervous system as a whole but it's also high in lecithin which helps activate the sympathetic uh, the parasympathetic nervous system Cauliflower. Cauliflower is high in choline. It's actually one of the highest foods in choline. Choline is an essential nutrient that impacts liver function, brain health, muscle movement, the nervous system, and metabolism. It really helps get you into your parasympathetic nervous system. And also garbanzo beans are also very high in choline and a few herbs that really help get you into your parasympathetic are valerian root, chamomile, lemon balm, passionflower and holy basil. So I really challenge you as you're listening to this episode to a make a plan to eat some of these foods this week and b to th- to write down in fact take out your phone, pull up a new note on your phone and Write it, write down judgments. And every single time this week that you find yourself judging someone for anything at all, like, oh, Mary doesn't brush her teeth, or like Michelle um gets so angry all the time, or like Sarah's so insecure. Anytime you find yourself judging anyone for any trait at all, write down who you're judging and why you're judging them. And then at the end of the week, go down the list and find all of the ways that you are exhibiting this trait within yourself, because it's not if, it's when, it's how. You definitely are, and you're not seeing it, and that's why you're judging it in other people, and that, my friends, is how you practice radical self-awareness. Okay, we are going to wrap up the episode the way we wrap up every episode, and that is with gratitude, and the reason that we do this is because gratitude is scientifically proven to make you a happier person, and happier people are just better, so... Maybe that's why this chick was so triggered by her friend calling her sad because of shit like this. No, because we all want to be fucking happier. Come on. Um, so I'm going to list three things that I'm grateful for this week. And I invite you as you're listening to think of three things that you are grateful for this week. The only challenge is to make it three new things. Don't go for the obvious things. Really scan your week and find three new things that you're grateful for this week. Okay, I am grateful for these new cards. I think they're chic, they're elegant. Um, I love the coloring on it. I love the design, which I designed myself, not to brag. And I'm grateful that they're here. And I think it really elevates the show um I am grateful for this cardigan it's the cocoon cardigan by Jenny Kane I've always been eyeing it I've always wanted to get it I nearly got it for Black Friday but I decided I'm trying to spend less money and then my brother and sister-in-law got it for me for Christmas and I'm super grateful for that and I am grateful I'm grateful for my sister-in-law. Oh no, no, no. I'm going to say something else. I'm grateful for how sleep deprived I am right now and how hard of a time I'm going through with Sam. Number one, I'm just grateful that she's still here and like kicking it with me because it could be worse. She could be dead. Um, But I've, I've said that I'm grateful for her being alive so many times. So That doesn't count because like I've said it before, but I am actually weirdly grateful that I am so sleep deprived and going through such a hard time because it's made my fuse so short that... Things that like sometimes I would have had grace around, I have less grace around. And even though that sucks and it's hard for me to experience, the silver lining of it is that it brings everything to the forefront. And as someone who is constantly trying to work on themselves and improve and unpack my triggers and find the repressed traits within myself... They come to the surface a lot easier when you're not as well because your fuse is so much shorter. You just don't have that wiggle room and that grace room. So even though it sucks in a weird way, it's the more triggered I am, the more I can do work on myself and the more I can then teach it to you guys. So in a weird way, there's always something to be grateful for, even in the worst of circumstances. <laughs> Look at me. I'm so evolved. <laughs> OK, let's end this here. <laughs> um, I love you guys so much. I hope you took something from this episode. I mean, truly, truly implement that judgment exercise that I gave you because that shit will fucking change your life. I'm doing it myself right now. Do it with me and watch yourself grow. You'll be amazed at how much better of a person you will become when you bring light to these repressed parts of yourself. And you'll be amazed at how much less conflict you have in your life. Okay. I love you guys so much. If you took something from this episode, if you learned something, please share it with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones, on your Instagram stories. Tag me. Rate, review, subscribe. You guys know the drill. It takes a few seconds out of your life. It helps the show so much. Love you guys. Bye. fuck is wrong with me?